0: Hello, it's Eliza Philby here. Welcome to the second bonus episode of It's All Relative. Now, this one's a little bit different as it features a pair of fellow generations experts, albeit one of them recently turned 17 and the other one is his mother. But I hope you enjoy listening to Jenk Oz and Carmen Greco. Jenk Oz was just eight years old when he mooted the idea to his mother about starting an email newsletter for his school friends, sharing what activities, shows and events were on at the weekends. Jenk presented the concept at a show and tell at school and three years later it had spiralled into a business, I Call Kid Limited, a digital publishing company producing original content for young people aged between 8 to 15 with Jenk at the helm as the UK's youngest CEO. In 2019, in a switch that reflected the evolving interests of his generation, Cenk renamed the company Thread Media with an emphasis on social change and activism. It is now the UK's largest digital media platform geared for Gen Z, with a host of in-house writers covering everything from period poverty to NFTs, and with an international ecosystem of activists and journalists expressing the concerns and perspective of this empowered and digital native generation. He currently divides his time in between studying for his A-levels and running Thread Media. Yes, holding business meetings in his school lunch hour with his CFO, who also happens to be his mother. Born in 1963, Carmen Greco is a pioneer in her own right. She started her career in the banking sector at a time when it was not a hospitable place for women. Undeterred, she rose to become the first female managing director at Goldman Sachs Europe and is now a serial entrepreneur and founder of three companies, most notably, of course. Thread Media, working alongside her son. Carmen and Jenk. welcome to It's All Relative. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having <laughs> us. Wow,
1: I'm not sure we can live up to that.
0: Much. Thank you so very much. No, no, thank you. I'm so intrigued by this sort of mum son business operation. So can you tell me, was it out of sort of... Design, or was it just an accident that this has just evolved into quite a massive company and undertaking?
2: I think it was more just a good coincidence in the sense that I had this idea, and then we realised that it it could manifest itself into something quite a uh, quite beneficial and quite useful. And um, kind of Carmen slash mum. <laughs> Do you the, call uh, her Carmen well, or is she yeah, mum? You'll, you'll quickly realise that <laughs> from, from Monday to, Monday to Friday, about nine to five, I call her Carmen, and on the oh, weekend really? she becomes mum. But uh, <laughs> But, um, she kind of had obviously the, the knowledge and the skills and the kind of the, uh, the kind of the ability almost to help me. And she had kind of what I lacked she had. So it kind of worked quite well in the sense that I had the idea and she had the, uh, the, uh, the knowledge and the wisdom, as much as uh, I hate Fantastic. to admit it.
0: Fantastic. Does CFO get to overrule the CEO? How, how does the dynamic work between well, you two? not during
1: the day, only on weekends. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you're running the operations day to day. How does it work? Uh, uh, during the day, if
1: he's in school, the answer is yes. But I think what you'll find is he's in school about six and a half months of the year uh, and out the balance of the time. And so... Um, he'll be in the office all day running the morning meetings once he's there Um, i'm happy to run the morning meetings when he's not there but also i think we find that you end up doing conference calls from school probably more than the school would like you to do (laughs) really yeah i've taken a lot of free periods Uh, and also a lot of our businesses based in the u.s um this will cross all the time zones in the u.s and so when you come home from school and you get your homework done and so on then you're talking to the u.s anyways so it actually works quite well uh because it allows us to be a little have a, a longer work day if you will
0: how many hours do you work when you're at school do you find yourself sort of working on the business three hours in the evening um
2: it varies a lot it's one of those things where if a lot needs to be done i'll get a lot done but there'll be days where there's there's no calls or no filming necessary so it kind of it it varies a lot some days i'll have kind of two hour conference calls or kind of doing like tedx talks or a uh, do model united nations talks quite a lot and uh so they'll take a while but they come kind of every now and again so it really varies but can be upwards of after school i think i've done like probably a couple hours on some days oh
0: my goodness and how do you find being a young person in what is actually quite an old person's world which is you know entrepreneurship the publishing landscape and the digital media business do you feel that you're not listened to undermined or actually there's some credibility because you're speaking for your generation well, and they don't understand
2: actually i found that and i was surprised when this was started to happen but it, it actually massively helped because of the sheer amount of press that you get because of being a young person doing what you're doing and i remember i made quite a few jokes because my birthday is coming up and uh, when I turned 17, everything I do becomes a lot less impressive, which is so, like, <laughs> it's uh, a lot of the, uh, like a, the youngest UK CEO, I could have made a lemonade stand and someone was still kind of made the same comments because your age, because your age makes it almost kind of press worthy. Yes. So we were able to really kind of kick off with like a lot of press stories early on. And then we were, I mean, I hope that we were able to kind of maintain that audience and retain them as we moved from my cookie to thread. And as I went from being a not so cool kid to kind of now working on thread. And, uh, I think my age has actually massively helped and it's given me opportunities, which I think that I don't, I think that if I was older, I probably would have been able to do.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I remember listening to an interview with Grace Beverly and she actually said the same thing that actually there's such an advantage of being young because she could speak for her generation and, and talk about, lifestyle and choices and opinions and values that older people didn't understand. But Mm. also she could also play naive and ask for help when she genuinely needed. it. And actually her age was to her advantage rather than disadvantage.
1: I I also think there's a lot more people like Cenk than people know about. So some do get press and a lot don't, but they're very worthy of the press and, and people need to shine a light on them. And to a certain extent, um, the really the, one of the only silver linings that came out of COVID was the fact that the private sector really put a lot into the, the virtual education and, and, and virtual upskilling of a lot of people. And a lot of these young people took advantage from all of the startup competitions, to uh, the Olympiads for social change, uh, to uh, all of the grants that have come out. And they've really backfilled on where the,
2: the academic syllabus wasn't in terms of young entrepreneurship. One one of the kind of bigger rants i go on quite often is about education which i think is what you're kind of alluding to the term lost einsteins was coined by ross chetty and he's a professor at like harvard stanford classic as you do and um he, uh, he the the idea of lost einsteins talks about the fact that as a young person like as a child it's very very easy to spot a performer or an academic or an athlete or a musician. So you can give them the training and the coaching and the kind of the tools necessary for them to to be able to thrive in their Mm -hmm. area of passion. But it's very hard to spot an innovator or an entrepreneur. So what happens is you're leaving them to kind of ideate and develop their ideas further in complete isolation because no one knows that they have these great ideas. So What's happening is the the people that we're seeing now, the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musks, the kind of Evan Spiegel's of the world, they're not the people who have the ideas, they're the people who have the ideas and are able to execute on them.
0: Because that's a key point, really. And I suppose one highlighted by COVID is the inefficiencies um, of the education system and how it's served, not just Gen Z, but historically you know, generations of young people and it's a one size fits all and it's great if you can Mm. swim in that system. It's really bad if you sink in that system. What makes Gen Z such good entrepreneurs?
2: Generation Z is is one of the things where certainly by no means a monolith, but there are a lot of trends which are quite clear. One of them is this kind of, this young entrepreneurship. What I think is worth saying is that Generation Z have been shaped by four things in a really dramatic sense. Um, A decade of social activism, more than we've ever seen before through clicktivism. Um, a global uh, viral pandemic, which is not a great not a great start for us, a, a financial crisis, which either we remember living through or our parents remember having to deal with when we were a mm-hmm. child. And uh, what was the last one I was talking about? Uh, oh, and we were the first generation to grow up on smartphones. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so That's the first time he's ever that's forgotten. Funny, so. That's <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, we had smartphones, a decade of social activism, a uh, financial crisis, and now a global viral pandemic. So the Ross is not looking great for us as a generation, but you'll quickly realize that this made us incredibly fiscally averse. Mm. We are very, very fiscally aware. And we're the generation who buys 160 pound t-shirt instead of 10, six pound t-shirts because we understand the concept of buying and reselling. And I hear quite a lot of people saying that everyone in generation Z is an entrepreneur, but I don't think that's quite the case. I think generation Z is much more a generation of solopreneurs. We're not following that standard business model of acquiring businesses and having kind of huge large scale company wins we're based on those on those small kind of consistent wins we're really a part of the gig economy more than the entrepreneurial world and i think it's on a much smaller scale than people realize and that's where that coin of uh that coin term solopreneurs came from was because we're not entrepreneurs in the elon musk sense we're entrepreneurs in the kind of freelance sense. it as
0: we go so i mean a lot of listeners will be in that category of gen x's boomers having to hire gen z's right now in this context <laughs> of the great resignation that we're hearing a lot about a generation that has lived through covid feels slightly disillusioned with the workplace and definitely wants remote working as their future what would you say are gen z's strengths in the workplace and what are their weaknesses
2: i think gen z As a whole, really, really find themselves doing everything possible to help what they identify with in the sense that in back in the day, people would have kind of just worked at the company that they think pays the best or has the best benefits nowadays Generation Z are happy I mean Thread is a great example of this I think Generation Z are happy to work at a place with maybe slightly less pay but it's what they really morally align with and they want to work with and they want to see companies succeed but the companies that they share their the kind of their moral compass aligns with. And I feel like that's a really important Generation Z because we're activist consumers at the heart of it. We only want to associate, we only want to help brands and work for brands that we really believe are doing the right thing. And that's why you're seeing these kind of huge boycotts and cancel mo- like movements and waves is because we don't want to help brands that we disagree with what they're doing. And it's really showing through employment as well.
0: I'm going to come back to that, but Carmen, I wanted to to just refer to a point you made in an interview that I read, where you said something really insightful, which was that Gen Z are now really the power brokers within the family, mm. <laughs> and they are dominating and influencing. The financial choices that their parents are making I wonder yeah, if you are. could just expand on that
1: sure I, I think that comes from uh, several places um, one of them is when they're online they are forced to watch advertisements so historically when we when I was growing up you'd look at a newspaper and if you saw an ad you didn't need to you could just move past it very quickly you weren't forced to to watch it so that you could get on with reading the newspaper that didn't exist Uh, when you're watching tv and an ad came on you go to the kitchen and you grab a cup of tea and you come back and it's over so you were always given the opportunity to miss them which brought down the value proposition of all advertising when i was growing up nowadays if you want to watch a michael mcintyre youtube video you're going to have an ad at the beginning and you can't skip it. You're gonna have an ad a third of the way through, two thirds of the way through, and so on, and you might have two in a row. And so you're forced to watch those in order to proceed with what you're watching. So what impact does that have, being forced to watch the ads? All of a sudden, you've got a gen zetter who comes to the kitchen table, and historically they say, where well, should we go on vacation? And they say, oh, you know, we're gonna go here. Well, nowadays it's more like, I think we should go to Croatia. And <laughs> it's like, how do you know where Croatia is? Oh, because it was I was on the PS5 in the, Ad that was on there that I couldn't skip is Croatia for the last three months and it actually looks great and I think we should go there and all of a sudden they're they're influencing a lot more and so if you mm. think about the trillions that they command every every day every year um, across the economy uh, not just being the largest cohort a number of people, but also the largest cohort of consumers, you know, if you multiply that by 14 to include the influence that they have, it becomes incredibly meaningful. If you then overlay the fact that you were in COVID all under the same roof Mm. with the single most talkative person in the room being Gen Z and the one who's bringing all the information into the house as well, because they're on the phone constantly all of a sudden their influence has actually grown under covid because you've got grandma parents aunties uncles and everyone all together the influence has become incredibly powerful uh, both psychologically and financially and so as we come out of this everyone is kind of in a whole new position and a different perspective so but it all began with them becoming a lot more vocal and empowered but then having you know, this, all this information uh,
0: being mm. funneled into them and being forced to watch everything. Right, and also that, cu- that new culture of parenting which goes against that historic, you know, children should be seen and not heard, to a modern view of parenting where there's so much focus on, Jen is laughing there's so much focus on the kids there's so much um, airtime given to their views and they're encouraged to speak up rather than shut up but the, the, the creator economy has has allowed you to be seen and heard
1: mm. so you have a you know, if you want to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak, of the early days, now it's about posting. So you are now being seen and then your copy allows you to be heard and you make a choice on what you want to be heard about. But it does, you know, it's the greatest amount of amplification that we've had is this, this idea of, you know, them speaking on, on social media. So absolutely, they've learned to speak out sooner and more frequently. And that has then translated to being at the
0: kitchen table as much as it is on your phone. Yeah. And Cenk, I just want to interrogate this vision of Gen Z being the activist generation, because if you look at the data, actually, it's Gen X, their parents by and large, who are most likely to boycott a product on ethical grounds. Um, And when you talk about environmentalism, for example, there's no discernible difference across the generations as to an acceptance that the climate is changing. Are we in danger of thinking that all Gen Zers are sort of Greta Thunberg's, you know, activists? And and, and actually there's a lot of variation within that generation and, and particularly because the cohort itself is so big and varied and having varied experiences.
2: Mm. I think there's just a couple points to make about that. I think the first thing, just to go back to what you said at the beginning, was... I think that we're seeing the kind of the boycott movements almost in generation x more so in generation z right now because generation z was and still is for the most part not quite able to because we're not quite fully in the workforce yet i think that climate change as just about Thunberg, and social change more generally is such a deep-rooted foundation almost a generation z and we've there's no other topics or no other generation who have had something so intrinsically at the core of everything they think and do and buy. So I don't think that everyone is, and I don't think that we're in danger of everyone becoming generation, uh, Gretchen Thunbergs. But I think that the way I like to see it is it's, it's a spectrum. No one disagrees with social change. No one says, actually, no, the world is too good. It should be made worse. Like That, that doesn't happen. It's not like it's a divisive topic. That everyone's on the same, we're all facing the same way. What I think the Greta Thunberg is, is Greta Thunberg's at a 10 and some people are at ones, but everyone's facing the same way. And I feel like we have a whole, whole spectrum between the one and the tens. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the goal of Thread almost is to take someone who's kind of involved with social change and give them that bit more education to see if we can impact and inspire a difference to be made, but also help the nines become tens by educating them for things that they might not be aware of around the world. So uh, no, I don't think we're in danger of everyone becoming Greta Thunberg's. If we did, the world would look pretty good.
0: So, I'm going I'm going <laughs> to come back on that and challenge you again and say is it just the idealism of youth? You know, what's special about Gen Z and their activism because you could hark back to the 60s and the boomer uh, protests and you could hark back to the 80s and Gen X's um protests and you actually millennials are very anti-protest but you could (laughs) cite the the iraq war maybe as uh, the millennial moment Mm. and the occupy movement as the millennial protest moment so what's so special about gen z and and are you in again in danger of just going they're going to change the world no they're just young and got a lot of
1: time and no money Uh, youth is always the zeitgeist of society Mm. and everyone has always been pro-social change It's just amplified through technology Mm -hmm. now, and so the frequency and how loud it is is just is just different because of technology. So social media and clicktivism has and the 24/7 news cycle has just allowed us to see it more. But everyone has there's always been passionate people who wanted to drive the social agenda forward and make the planet better. You just seeing it and hearing it in a different way. But everyone should be credited with all of the work they've done in generations before. And I think one of the big mistakes is sometimes Gen Z will say, oh, we're Gen Z. Well, you know what? But everyone has done this before. Youth has always wanted to take on, take hold of something, make it their own, and challenge the status quo. And it just so happens that this generation is going hard and deep on climate change and and social change. The second point is it's moved so much that it's no longer a topic, it's part of the culture. It is ingrained in them, as Cenk was saying. So it's not like, hey, let's talk about climate change. No, no, it's just there. We're going to just work at it. Every single day you wake up and you're trying to move the dial a little bit in a positive direction. And so I think that's you know that's important. And to go back to one point that you made earlier about the endangered, are we in danger of dinner? I agree with Cenk. There's no danger. If that happens, that's absolute nirvana. So if everyone woke up and said, I'm committed, that's what you call change at scale. Because that's what we need, and no person can make the change. It's actually influencing upward, and that's what Jen says doing a really good job of is where they work. They're influencing that person. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody is working at Coca-Cola and they go up to the CEO and they say, "Do you really need 500 uh, milliliter bottles? Because you know the cans work really well, and maybe the one and a half liter ones work great for parties, but you know the five, the 500 ones they just don't really serve a purpose. Let's not make those anymore." That's what Gen Z does well, is they think about that and say, they could just buy two cans, you know, and that would work perfectly well. We'd eliminate millions and millions and millions of plastic bottles that end up on the shores of the people who aren't even drinking it. Mm. That's the difference. Mm. So they'll have the guts to go and try to implement change, move up to the C-suite and make that change because they're just, they're a little bit gutsier on that Mm. because they don't um, feel the risk as much because they don't feel like they're going to work there for the next 40 years. They think they're going to work there for the next two years. And by the way, after three months, if they don't like it, they're going to leave. So they're willing to take, I think, and be a little bit more vocal, take more risk and be Absolutely. more vocal about those things.
0: And that comes from, obviously, having a smartphone in your pocket since you were 13 and that ability to, through social media, speak truth to power. It,
1: you know, and, and to that point, it's interesting um, how people, when they say that having, you know, a smartphone in your, in your pocket, um, their entire life is mm. in their pocket. It's mm. not a phone. I think one of the problems with our generation, and I've learned through Jenk uh, uh, and watching other Gen Zers, is, you know, it's everything. It's your every photo you've ever taken. It's your medical records. It's Encyclopedia Britannica. It's everything compass. in that phone. It's, it's, it's a, a compass. compass, it's a, torch. It's a you've, ruler. You've never it's been lost, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. let me just tell you this. It's absolutely everything. In general, Gen Z views their phone is is their entire life and their future their future is actually in their hands and that's extraordinary that your future is in your hand because in fact you're in command of it not anyone else if you want to go on there Mm. and search and you know look it it does democratize education i mean youtube's done a great job of it mobile phones have done a great job of it the saddest part of it is that maybe only 60 percent of the world have access to it and that's the sad part but once that number keeps growing and people have access to it Mm. really so much good can come of it. And if we can tackle the small amount of bad that's on there relative to all of the possibilities and opportunities that come with it, then, you know, that's empowering,
0: incredibly so empowering. So I want to move to what we call the quick fire round, which we basically make ourselves feel very old through a series <laughs> of <laughs> questions. <laughs> um so Jenk, first up, what was your first political memory? Um
2: I think it was my school did a mock debate of brexit where three teachers vote, had like a debate against another three teachers and it was
0: yeah and how old were you in brexit Te- uh,
2: brexit was in june of 2016 20- 2016 that probably happened 11. a couple months earlier i was 11 years old
0: Eleven, my goodness
1: and okay. that was a long political movement versus some things that are sort of much, uh, i mean much yeah, shorter. that, that only just it's came into reality like, about okay two just years ago.
0: for context my first political memory was margaret thatcher leaving downing street okay so she was oh. arguably the initiator of brexit so common what was your first political memory
2: so the last supper
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i grew up in canada and i are uh, a uh,
1: prime minister was pierre elliott trudeau so the father of the current uh, prime minister and uh, <laughs> this is the most bizarre political thing i thought his wife was dating mick jagger so that was my first okay. foray into politics so i was like wow what's Presumably going on his ex-wife
0: was it oh okay oh. <laughs>
2: Oh crikey! Wow. Right. I don't I, well, I
0: didn't know that. What? Well, so, what was your first job? I, I think I know the answer to this, Jenk. What was your first job, and what did you get paid?
2: Um, I did quite. You wouldn't be able to tell now, but I did quite a lot of child modelling. So I think <laughs> my and I kind of commercials and whatnot. So uh, I think my first job was when I was around six, seven. I think I did like an Amex travel ad. I think I got paid like a couple hundred quid amazing yeah it's quite cool
0: okay mine was working in a shoe shop anyway um, far less glam- glamorous my first job ever was a paper route um and the paper
1: route was great for the first week until it started to rain and then my father had to take over my paper route. <laughs> 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 and so i thought this isn't working so well for me the whole idea of the outside the greater outdoors and then i started to work uh, in a convenience store as a cashier in a bakery selling bagels and in a clothing store, um, putting clothes on the racks. And what did uh, you get? What did you get
0: paid? Can you do oh, the... you were
1: paid by the hour on all of those. And so that was my first lesson into the fact that you couldn't earn a lot of money getting paid by the hour because there wasn't enough hours in the day and you had to sleep. And so that actually really taught me that, you know, there, there's an old saying that, you, you, you know, you need money to work for you while you're sleeping so investing really I really became an interested in investing which then led me into banking because yeah, of the idea that no matter how hard I worked I couldn't do any better than
0: somebody was willing to pay me by the hour and That's so that, that led into that and what was your first piece of music and in what format Cenk?
2: it would have been some sort of uh, soundtrack to a musical I presume I, if I had to guess I don't know do you have any idea? What
0: format was it in? Billy Elliot.
2: Yeah, Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. I also then I, lo- I fell in love with Billy Elliot and then I auditioned for Billy Elliot for the part of Michael. So, uh, yeah, here's a fun fact. I actually got to like grade eight tap and ballet for the auditions for Billy Elliot and then I was too tall. Pretty gutting. But I can do lots of pirouettes now. So, there you
0: go. <laughs> and what, um can you remember what format that Billy Elliot, the musical, was it in CD? Or would it have been? download even this could be quite rogue
2: i actually got the music sheets for it so i learned to play it on the piano but i don't know if that counts but uh i did get oh the cd goodness. as well okay because i had a little cd an exception. yeah i did i had a cd player next to my room uh, in next to my bed where i'd listen to music okay. and audiobooks
0: carmen what was your first music purchase and what format was it in um there's two songs
1: that i remember from my childhood one of them is delta dawn no one in the room is going to remember that. And tie yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. Two big, big hits, boomer hits. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, my I grew up in a household where Frank Sinatra played twenty four seven, and so uh, uh, yeah. And then my son had to grow up in a household that played Frank Sinatra twenty four seven with us. And so I would say listening on the radio would have been those songs, but listening in our house would have always been Frank Sinatra.
2: Yeah. I would I would like to quickly draw attention to the uh, the uh, exactly. vinyl player there and the uh, <gasps> Jimi Hendrix, the the yeah. Beatles, I believe, or the Prince uh, Prince picture album. That's quite so cool. So
0: that's it. The, I don't imagine there are many sixteen year olds who know that much about Jimi Hendrix.
2: I'm a diehard kind of rock fan. I so, l- love it so much. So that's how, Jimmy album. So that guitar. intrigues
0: me because when I, when I think back to when I was sixteen, I was worrying about boys and clothes and lying to my parents (laughs) you're (laughs) never working with your parents do you worry that you're permit me to ask this missing out on sort of normal teenage years
2: not kind of a huge amount to be fair i mean i mean even last night i had a bunch of mates over for my upcoming birthday it was quite funny one of them pointed out they were like i look at your instagram and you're just like so, like, I don't know how you do this during the day and then just be completely normal at night. I thought it was quite funny. It's quite, like, a compliment, I guess. But it's weird. I, I, I don't feel like I've ever missed out on a huge amount. Sometimes I actually I kind of have to be like, no, I I actually don't want to go, like, do certain things. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I really have done.
0: I mean, obviously your generation have really and honestly and quite rightly started... The conversation around mental health and and um, in respect to education and, and work and and just general well-being how do you manage your mental health um I think
2: I've always kind of been fortunate enough to never r- struggle a huge amount of mental health and I don't know if that's because I, I practice things that a lot of people practice to help their mental health like I work out six times a week I walk all the time I play a lot of sports so quite often i I see people who suffer from poor mental health, do those things. So I feel like I, I didn't start that because I was suffering from poor mental health, but I think kind of good practice like that, I think have really helped me kind of stay afloat. And also the fact that I've, I've been able to quite a lot of, and it sounds bad when I say it, but quite a lot of my life is scheduled. Like I know what I'm going to do on a day before it happens. So I've never felt kind of anxious or stressed that I'm not doing enough or that I'm doing too much or something that I'm missing out or that I'm really kind of, kind of suffering in, in any way, which I think I've been really fortunate to be able to be in quite a nice situation like that. But uh, on the other side of that, I'm at a uh, kind of all, all boys quite, uh, I mean, I think it's quite high stakes school. So I've seen the kind of the negative impact of really, really high pressure situations. And I've kind of been really kind of fortunate enough to be able to, have a supportive enough family to be able to be like you know what at the end of the day not something to get too stressed or anxious about
1: mm. I, th- I think we've always thought about there are really only three things that matter in the world that have really significant consequences you know clearly your 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 happiness which leads to longer term fulfillment um your health and your family and we've always told Jenk we put cement under that everything below that not really consequential, and I think that has allowed him to control the narrative in his head to know that if I fail this exam, I try my very, very, very best, but if I don't, the consequence actually isn't that big. it doesn't rewrote your whole life it doesn't change everything and I think a lot of people who are younger at some point they just that narrative haunts them because they believe that it is so important that it will dramatically change their life. There's I not really just... a lot of things that you do on an everyday basis that can dramatically alter your your station in life, your family your health not really a lot of it and so you have to really believe that so also the second thing is because he's been uh acting um really most of his life probably since about four or five years old doing performances and so on he's been rejected so many times hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times that you know from the very beginning you have to teach them that you know it wasn't you it was your eye color it wasn't you it was your height it wasn't you as you didn't look like the father in the and so you kind of get used to the rejection Mm, as well mm. and I think Um, you know, parents just have to really, really work hard with their children to make them understand and be able to understand the consequences
0: of things, because I think people hype them up way too much. So I'm a parent to a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I spend most of my time worrying about them and their future, obviously, and (laughs) having mother's guilt when I'm not worrying about their future. What do you worry about when it comes to Jenk? or perhaps you don't as a, as a mother? Honestly, um... Really? uh, uh, Absolutely nothing.
1: I I don't worry about it.
0: Because, because, (laughs) you know, because (laughs) I'm very, very
1: fortunate that we've worked so hard on it for his whole life. Now we're talking about 17 years of instilling confidence Mm. in somebody. And again, going back to the idea that there's nothing that can really derail you on the outside world. Only you can derail you. As long as you believe that you're in control of it, and also anytime you come up against something, go around it like you come up again there's another route all of that and no is just rerouting you it's a building in that daily like really, work really hard on it after 17 years you're like my work is almost okay. done here and that doesn't mean that your love is but he's you know whenever he's probably tired of me ranting and raving on positivity and, and <laughs> it's,
2: confidence it's quite first... it's quite funny he's almost going i get told sometimes you're too far because sometimes i'm like Something will happen. I'll be like, and and I'll be like, why do you not like, care so much? You like, you got detention because you didn't, you forgot to do like a homework. And I'll be like, okay, <laughs> okay, we're <laughs> <you do> <laughs> like I mean, being resilient, mum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 okay, it's quite. I'm funny. not advocating for not doing the work, like, but it, st- it's just. Do
0: you still tell him off? Like, wh- when are you? When are you like deviant, Jenk? Come on.
2: Not- Where- not hugely often i think i think it kind of happens almost every night around about about <laughs> midnight about midnight <laughs> to half past midnight when, I, when i'm like still playing call of duty Gaming. and okay. i can hear but, a kind of voice being again, like you
1: know what as a parent you have to pick and choose what you care about and i do again i only care about three things <laughs> so it's like his health his education and his development again getting him through that but otherwise it's I really too taxing. Those, there's I, too many things going on that you can't really make everything a 10 because your child then doesn't understand the difference between a mm. 1 and a 10 if everything is like volcanic and oh my god this is a crisis yeah. you didn't get into the school and it's like okay you know what change course because the next course might actually be better and I think having worked in you know for so long myself and seen all of these things it took me a long time to learn them but I feel like I'm in a good position to try to Teach him, mm. but he's probably tired of having Simon Sinek posters in his <laughs> all his walls. I'm yeah. Minogue, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, and Stephen yeah, Levitt, yeah. and Malcolm Gladwell. He's like he thinks they're actually part of his family at yeah, this they,
2: point. have <laughs> <off. laughs> been
0: raised on Simon Sinek and Ma- Malcolm Gladwell. I do Gladwell.
2: love Malcolm Gladwell.
0: I'm going to call it indoctrination, but in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, outliers four times That's over awesome. out loud. That, like, when, when, when parents read at night, they come like, reading Malcolm Gladwell
1: Stop outliers. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah, outliers,
2: <laughs> outliers is like two of my three favorite books.
0: <laughs> so, Jenk, you don't feel just, I'm going to just hammer, hammer down this point then. You don't feel like you've sacrificed anything. Mm, not at all. And you've lost anything. No, not at all. In your adolescence.
2: I'm, not at all. And I think it's also worth saying that I think that I'm in a comfortable enough position to be able to say at some point, in My life to be able to say, you know what, loved this run, gonna move myself away from this. I'm, I, I it won't happen at any point in the near future, as you'll be very happy to hear. Mom, it's not gonna I'm happen working with you since I was eight, no, it's time to pass. No, it won't happen at any point in the near future, but um, I don't think I've missed out on anything, and I'm also in a comfortable enough position to be able to say that if I did, I'd be able to kind of deal with that. And I wouldn't, I don't feel like I'm forced to stay with the company, I stay with the company because I love doing what I do, and I really think that it's doing good in the world
0: what's the kind of goal the end goal
2: the goal with i guess what i kind of the idea that i want to kind of achieve is i want to inspire the most amount of people to take local change around the world because when you have local change on a global scale that's global change and that's 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 the end goal
0: can you give me an example of, of that
2: so um <laughs> i love the example because it's, it's quite heartfelt actually but i enjoy telling about it we're uh, One of our ambassadors called Jay, he lives in the Philippines, and I don't know to what amount this is true, but he accredits me for inspiring him to start a social campaign to get uh, clean water into their schools. So the Philippines only quite recently got full clean water into houses, I believe, and now they're trying to get it into schools. And I don't know exactly, but I think he's been quite successful with that. At least into his school, he's got clean water. So uh, I was quite kind of touched by the fact that he accredits me with ins- inspiring him to be able to feel like he can make that kind of change. So if we can do that on a mm. mega scale, you have mega change.
0: Quite right. You know, and, and I think it's one of the things we've all felt post COVID as we have all sort of sat in our houses and really recognised our local community that much more. The power is in the local. Looking closer to home in, say, even London, how does Thread Media speak to, let's say, a white working class boy in South London who perhaps won't, doesn't have the prospects or the grades to go to university perhaps doesn't feel part of the activist generation doesn't really click with some of the thread media content on social change and doesn't identify with a lot of what you say i think
2: that i feel like i'm gonna go back to what i said earlier about everyone kind of faces the same direction like based on my picture of what you've just described i don't think that that's the kind of person who says no the world shouldn't be better i feel like what thread does for that person is it turns them from a zero to a one almost it's it's an introduction it's a gateway the way that we like to think one of our global media partners is global citizen i I, I think you might mm. have heard of them and um they like love their website love absolutely everything they, they do they almost seem like apocalyptic in the way they write. They really write in a something needs to change, the world's like, rah, like everyone, we need to like take arms and revolt against the world. So like, I like to think of that as like the nine ten. like that's really hitting hard to the people who really want to make a big, big difference. The way I like to see Thread is the gateway to really get someone to that level. So I don't think the person you described would look at that and think, God, that is so not me. But I think that that person would look at Thread and think, hmm, maybe I can get behind some of the kind of the social change within technology or the social change within fashion. The reason we like to think of Thread as youth culture through the lens of social change is because people think of social change and they think black lives matter, climate change, and kind of social justice. But actually, there's social change in the fashion industry, the fast fashion industry. Mm-hmm. There's social change in, the, in agriculture. Has had a huge, huge amount of social change massively impacting it. So what, what people don't realize, the person you described thinks everyone is only talking about environment and kind of Black Lives Matter. There's social change everywhere you look. And Thread's goal is to show that to that person and hopefully get them from a a zero to a one or a one to a two. But
1: as Cenk said, you know, everyone's got a passion about something. And so... If, and if there is some social change element within that vertical of what they love to do, then what a perfect pairing that would be. And, you know, if, whatever that passion is, I think there is something that can be improved in it socially to help people. Mm. So I, I do think
2: there is a spot for everyone. So we put into six steps is the first one is uh, lend your wallet. So that's being a activist consumer buying with brands that you align with mm-hmm. then uh, you lend your voice so that's raising awareness with your friends posting on social medias uh following liking commenting reposting kind of social change accounts then the third step is lend your feet that's the volunteering the protesting the kind of uh, everything in that area then you have joining an organization leading an organization and then finally change at that governmental level and I feel like people who are at the zero look at six and think that's so far away. But actually, you can, there's a lot of steps before that where you can make a difference.
0: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for this tour of Gen Z and, and how they're <laughs> thinking and what they're doing. And, and But also your relationship. And it's very clear, I think, where Jen gets his energy, his commitment and his inspiration from. So thank you to Jenkin Carmen, and thank you guys for listening. Do check out Thread Media at www.threadmedia.com. And to hear more from me, why don't you join thousands of subscribers and sign up to my fortnightly newsletter, where you have access to exclusive articles and a space to discuss how we are changing as workers, consumers, and citizens. Find out more at www.elizafilby.com and do check out my content on TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Insta at Eliza Philby. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode of It's All Relative, can I please, please ask that you review and share its contents. It helps spread the word. Thank you for listening.